What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 21 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. I am Mike Johnston from MikeSlessons.com, and my co-host who will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this week's episode, we're going to answer a listener's question about the mysteries surrounding the Ludwig Black Beauty snare drum. In our shop talk section, Mike and I are going to talk about Turkish-made symbols. We'll talk about the absolutely incredible Mr. Travis Orban. In our gear review section, we'll check out the Minel Byzance Vintage Pure Series, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week so let's get started episode 21 mr dawson talk to me about the weather it's all i care about it's raining but you know oh, what? Okay. it's like 50 degrees so it's two days was it three days two three days before christmas it's fine wow. with me i'm i guess we'll publish this on christmas day so merry christmas everybody Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy holidays. Yeah. Whatever you celebrate, I hope it's going well for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's not condescending. I really do. I really hope it's going well for you. Oh, After the talk that we just had off air, uh, I yeah. really hope it's going well for everyone. <laughs> How are you <laughs> doing? Goodness. What are your plans? I'm, I'm doing good, man. I'm going down to L.A. Uh, that's where my wife's family lives. So we're going to go down there and spend some time uh, with the kids. Uh, we have nieces and nephew, nieces and a nephew there. So we'll do some of that. And then, um, yeah, I'm just going to kind of relax. And my, uh, my web developer and I are just kind of pushing through the final stages of everything with the new MikeSlessons.com. Uh, oh, and I have some news. Right okay. around a little after Christmas, probably the first week of January, uh, the Groove Scribe, which is a free app that anyone can use, will support all odd time signatures or all time signatures in general. So, Sweet. so how do you do that? Is it going to be a menu to choose it? Yep. Yeah. Right where it, it at the top, right by the subdivisions, it'll say time signature, and you can when you click on it, it brings up a menu, and you can change the uh, bottom number of the sub or bottom number of the time signature can be four, eight, or sixteen, and then we're choosing a one through fifteen for the top numbers. Nice. So. Um, is it yeah, still, and still one measure per per groove, or can you do like four measure grooves? You, you can do – actually, we have it set up so you can do – I think we have it capped off at like 300 measures. Oh, shoot. All right. You can do full sheet music with it, yeah. Awesome. We warn you like on the fourth – when you when you go to add the fifth measure, we tell you like, hey, just so you know, this was really meant to be a groove tool, right. not a transcription <laughs> thing. But you, yeah, you can do a full transcription with it. Actually, it might not, it might not even have a limit to be honest. Um but it's been, I mean, that's kind of a nightmare. Think about you create a groove, then you choose 7 8. Well, our notation software has to recognize that, transpose it, mm. and then, and we have to change the counting because you might have written in the counting, and now we have to change it from 1 e to 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 and. So uh, it's been a mathematical nightmare creating the odd time signatures aspect of this. That sounds um, like it. Although I would think, God, well, no, I guess. How are people using it? Are they just programming stuff and then messing I with think, it? I think, no, I think probably, I think when you go in, that's the, we actually had a conversation about this myself and the developer had a conversation last night about most people are probably going into the Groove Scribe knowing what they want to create and starting to create it. So right. I don't think it's going to be a thing where somebody's creating a mambo and then saying, I wonder what this sounds like in 916. Yeah. Um, but we had to make sure that if you do that, we transpose it correctly for you. That's... And I mean, it's not like a dude's doing it. We're, it's code yeah. that has to intuitively know all this stuff. So it's it was it was much different than people being like, "You should make odd time signatures." And yeah. it's like, "Yeah, we'll get on that. We'll talk to you in six months." That's a that's quite the process. I so, mean, Finale has been around for forever, and they still like if you if you write in a bunch of stuff and you realize, all right, this four four bar should actually be three four. 
it pushes everything that's left over to the next measure, but it doesn't necessarily make the uh, the notes group in the correct way. Right. It's, it's been tough. And all that stuff. Yeah, it's been tough. And I think, you know, I'm sure we'll find some bugs, but the good thing is uh, we're willing to work on it. But it, it's definitely to the point now that if you chose the odd time signature in the first place, it'll do everything properly. Um, awesome. I think there will probably be some aspects, like I said, where um, if you just screwed up and say, oh, no, I meant that to be in 13, you know, 16, then there might be, you know, it might transpose it weirdly, but but we're going to work through it. And then the people and it's a free app, um, you know, and it's not even an app. It's just uh, on mikeslessons.com. You just go to the right of the menu and click on GrooveScribe and anyone in the world can use it. You don't need to give me your email address or anything like that. Uh, we just want people to have the ability to create stuff through, you know, just like you would in a drum machine program. But then it's spitting out the proper notation for you so you can share it with other people. So so anyway, so that's going on here. And then uh, I'll come back after Christmas and get back to work filming videos, man. So. Nice. So speaking of our listeners, uh, actually, Lou Montuli, who is the developer of the GrooveScribe and and a former camper of mine, he was talking to me yesterday about, he was like, hey, I'm looking into getting a Black Beauty. And my immediate response was, get an old one. And he said, why? And I said, oh, well, they used to be seamless shells, and they sound a lot different. And and Lou is Lou is the kind of cat that researches everything. And so he was like, uh, I'm pretty sure they're still seamless. That's what they say in their ad campaigns. And I was like, no, I'm pretty sure they're not. And then uh, so I said, you know what? Actually, I'm not pretty sure they're not. I just That's just stuck in my head. For some reason, I think they're rolled, welded shells nowadays, and they used to be seamless back in the day. But I know that Mike Dawson will know. So we texted you late last night. Yeah. Actually, very late for you because we were on the West Coast, so I apologize. That's right. I was messing with my drum machine. I got into a vortex of, of weirdness. It was all good. <laughs> so we gave you a nice happy break? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Cool. And so, and you said, no, I think they're still seamless, but I'm not sure. And I said, okay. So then I contacted my um, one of the students of the Mike's Lessons family works at Ludwig, actually works at the factory. So I contacted him this morning. And he let me know they are, in fact, 100% seamless. Uh, they're, they're spun. So they're actually created just like a bowl. You would, And then they cut the bottom off just like they would a bowl. And now you have this seamless shell. The process is insanely difficult. Uh, unlike a rolled shell, if you screw it up, it's kind of ruined. Um, or a welded shell. You can't just re-roll it out with a roller. Um, so these are these are totally spun, seamless shells. These are the current models of the Black Beauty. And so what I wanted to talk to you about is just maybe where that kind of myth came from. How did I hear about this? And I think what it is, pre-1930s, they were made out of two pieces of rolled metal. Right. So they had two seams, right? And then they became seamless, and that created the legendary Black Beauty sound that we have. But I think what it is is that a lot of the, the Black Beauty knockoffs are welded. Is that correct? They are. Like all of them that um, are made by World Max or anyone So the Black Magic, the Big Black Bob, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Anything that's made in Taiwan is going to – I, I don't think there's any seamless stuff coming out of those factories. And, I mean, that's maybe the Ludwig Black Magic series is what, what kind of made it stick in your head because that is that version of the Black Beauty. It's a cheaper version because it is welded. Rolled there we go. I think that's probably what it is. Okay. Yeah. So um, – and honestly – I signed with DW when I was 21 years old, so I've I've had endorsements since you know for almost 20 years now that weren't Ludwig. So I, I have a problem 
owning amazing snare drums that I'll never be able to play. So I actually don't own a Black Beauty. And so I think, you know, I've used them in the studio for sure. Um, but I, so I think that's kind of why I, I got a little confused and didn't know. So the Black Magic that Ludwig makes is not seamless and it's welded, right? It's rolled and welded. Right. And that's why you can get one for like 300 bucks. Right. And then the current Black Beauty, if you get like with two blugs and everything, I think it's about seven fifty or so, and then six ninety nine for the classic for the current Ludwig lugs, and that's that's a seamless shell. So for everyone out there, um, they are seamless, and that's and the process of making a seamless shell is way more intense than rolling and welding, and that's where that cost hike is coming from. Um, now, do you? I mean, have you ever heard of like you got to get an like an old Black Beauty, they sounded better back in the day? Or is it just Black Beauty is the way to go? Yeah, I mean, hopefully I'm not misremembering it, but I believe, well, Black Beauty itself wasn't a model name originally. It was a nickname. It was just a superphonic, a black nickel superphonic that became mm. known as the Black Beauty. So all the really old ones from the 20s weren't called Black Beauties. They were, I believe they were called Deluxes, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Those were the two-piece shells. So those have a completely different sound, and I think that the actual the seamless ones didn't start until the seventies. Pretty sure. Okay. So the ones that are kind of like the golden era that most people revere, like the mid late seventies uh, superphonics with the blue olive badge. Okay. That's kind of became like the black beauty that we think of on like all the modern rock records and stuff. The old gotcha. two piece is definitely a, a much duller, darker sound. That some people love as well, but it's not the same. It's totally different. It's that's when you play an old deluxe. It's like okay, that's an old drum. It's very, it's muted. It's dark. Got it. Um, it has a totally different character. Whereas the one from the seventies has that like classic snare drum sound. Got it. Yeah, Matt Curl. By the way, I should give him some credit. Matt Curl is the uh, the guy at Ludwig that gave me all the information, and he said that the Black Beauties pre nineteen thirties were two pieces uh, soldered together. Um, and then um, since Con C O N N took over, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they, the shells. What's that? They're the, the big corporation that bought Ludwig. Uh, they, they own like saxophone companies and trumpet. Okay, companies, yeah. so since they took over, the shells have been um, uh, spun in one piece. And according to John Aldridge, the earlier two-piece shells have more mid-range. Yeah. So yeah, there we go. So Lou Montuli, you got your answer now. I. I will say, I mean, uh, I've 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 would a new Ludwig Black Beauty and a new Taiwanese knockoff. Okay. And if unless you're really deep into tone, you're not going to hear a super ton of difference. So Got if it. you really just want a, a black nickel over brass drum, but you don't want to spend eight hundred bucks, even though eight hundred bucks is really kind of cheap for like the holy grail of snare drums. Totally agree. But. I mean, you can you can get away with a Black Magic, especially now. I believe they they redid the Black Magic so they don't have diecast; they have triple flange hoops, so they look just like a Black Beauty now with tube lugs and everything. That's a great drum. Uh, the pork pie, uh, what's it? Big Bob, I think they call it. It's either Big Black or or Black Bob. It, yeah. It's got yeah, it's got black in it. I mean, they're they're all stealing the the black terminology to to gain sales. Obviously, Black yeah. Magic, Black this. Um, the only one that uh, PDP makes the Ace. I don't know if they still make yeah. it, but that was a similar Same thing. thing. Same thing. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know for sure, but I believe they're all using World Max shells. So you're getting right. essentially the same drum, just depending on what kind of hardware you want. And they yeah. really, I mean, unless again, unless you're really deep into tone, you're not going to hear that much of a difference. So I highly recommend 
at least starting out, before you can actually hear the difference, just get one yeah. of the cheaper ones. Well, and especially if you want to stick with Ludwig, just like you said, get the Black Magic. You're still getting the Ludwig. You're getting the snare. So yeah. um, I think that's awesome. Well, there you go. Uh, by the way, guys, if you guys have questions about gear, this is a great place for us to at least discuss it and try to give you um, the best info we can. And we will restart. I texted Mike this morning. I was like, you turned me into a damn reporter, bro. I don't want to I don't want to collect information. I don't care about this stuff. But I had to go to the source. And I was like, actually, we have a student that works at Ludwig. Let me let me talk to him. Yeah. That's All right. Great. Now, let's uh, let's get into some shop talk. And uh, this is a this is a murky, murky little subject here. Turkish made symbols. Yeah. Yep, yep. I mean, it's again. I think it comes back to the lore. We got to start there. Like it's okay. The history of symbols. The original symbols were made in Turkey for the Turkish military, and I mean, the original drum set was just guys grabbing whatever they could throw together, and the symbol just became the noisemaker that they used for that high end stuff and marching bands and all that. Uh, so originally, the Turkish stuff was for the Turkish military. At some point, the Zildjian family decided to move to the states. Um, I think originally the people who moved here weren't bringing the company over, but they were, you know, they had landed here, they immigrated and they saw that there was a need because jazz was starting to become a thing. And they just called back to their, I believe their, their, maybe their father, grandfather and like, Hey, you got to move to the States and start making symbols. So that brought the Turkish symbol company to the, to the States. Okay. Now quick question on the history of it. Were, any of the Zildjian symbols actually manufactured at the time in Turkey, or was it just that they brought that manufacturing process to the States, so they called it Turkish made? Yes. Um, my understanding, there was, there was the, the family that moved to the States established Zildjian, but the, but the family name was, was slightly different. It was Zilkan, I believe. Okay. And they still had a factory in Turkey. So for a time being there... There was, I think, Gretsch actually started importing the Zilkan symbols, which were what we became known as the K's, the classic, the you know the, the highly coveted K's. While the Zildjian company estates were focusing on the A series, so the Got old it. K's that everyone just likes to fawn over, even though we probably don't even know what they actually sound like. We all <laughs> we all think that the old K is like the definitive sound was actually imported. From Turkey, I got it. Okay, okay. Wow. Yeah. So it gets confusing from the very beginning, and then the Zildjian family, the two brothers, get an argument, and split up, and that—that's when Sabian starts. So it just gets super confusing. But anyway, the whole—I think the whole lore of Turkish made—I'm not quite sure why. I think it goes back to that K sound. People just assume it means really sophisticated, really, really handmade, and special symbols because of the guys who were playing them, the Tony Williams, the Elvin Jones, the Art Blakey's. Yeah, man. Wow. Wow. Okay. So from there, now let's kind of skip to more modern times. It seemed like out of nowhere, there was this explosion of smaller Turkish companies and, you know, Meinl had released the Byzance line and that was for a lot of people that just assume Meinl's always been a big dog. They, it, it's a very recent rise for Meinl and they actually, the Byzance line was their first series of professional symbols. Everything before Byzance was a non, you know, it was an entry level or mid level symbol. They had never tried their hand at professional level symbols until the Byzance line. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, uh, it's kind of funny because they were such a massive company because of their partnerships with other uh, other drum manufacturers. You know, drum manufacturers like Tama would ship 
their beginner kits with Minel symbols. So Minel was always manufacturing symbols like crazy, but not professional level symbols. And then, you know, that's kind of even if you look at Thomas Lang in his first DVD, it's all mid-level symbols. A lot of it, it's a lot of um, MB10 stuff, you know, um, oh, wow. and lines that we don't even have anymore. So he really, I mean, that was. What a leap of faith to go from Zildjian to Meinl at that time. You know, Thomas Lane gets no credit for that. And really, he's the one that opened everyone in America's eyes to Meinl symbols. You know? Yeah. yeah cool. So so they're Turkish made. But then all of a sudden we have all this other stuff, you know, that's that we don't know. Is it Turkish made? Is it not like Trixis, Supernatural, Soul Tone, all these things. So can you name off some of the smaller Turkish made symbol companies? Um, well, let's see. Let's. Let's start at the beginning before we. Well, let's start at the top. So, okay, the the, the Zild, Zilkan company, the, the old Zildjian company, they became Istanbul. Oh, so okay. that after I believe that again, I hopefully I'm not misrepresenting the, the, what happened, but I believe there was a lawsuit between the two Zildjians. So the Zildjian in Turkey had to cease using the name Zildjian. Got it. And it became Istanbul. So then Istanbul. <laughs> Uh, when one of the partners passed away, that split into Agop and Mehmet. So Istanbul <laughs> became two companies, Istanbul Agop, Istanbul Mehmet. And then some other employees from the original Istanbul formed Bosphorus, and then some other employees formed Amedia. So right away you've got Istanbul, which was the original Zildjian company becoming four competing Turkish made wow. companies. And and those are all high level companies. Those yeah, are not those entry are like, these are legit. Those are like the big daddies that are still in Turkey making it the old fashioned way. So then from there you've got a whole line of of companies that that popped up Turkish, Anatolian, Masterwork, Dural Dural, Impression, T symbols, uh Murat Samsung, and they all relate back to that Istanbul original company. Wow. That's so crazy. You know what's scary to me is like the fact that these are really the only cats that know how to do this. You know, it seems it's I'm sure it seems to the listeners like, oh, it's a lot of companies. There's few humans that are doing this and that know the recipe and know the process. And it's kind of like what we talked about a few weeks ago with Brady. When when it's gone, it's gone. Yeah. You know, there's no. Um, and and from my understanding of talking to Meinl yesterday about this, they don't let outsiders in and teach them the secrets. You know what I mean? So there's not. Otherwise, Meinl would be more than happy, I'm sure, to move the factory to Germany, put it all in house. But yeah. there, there's no way the Turkish would let that happen. Yeah, bring a couple guys in. No, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you just see Norbert over in Turkey just hammering <laughs> symbols and apprenticing? Like, it wouldn't happen. So it's a scary thing because they really – it's it's become such a coveted thing like you said here. Um, I can give you some fact that hopefully won't make any of the metal drummers out there cry. But um, Meinl makes Byzance and MB20. Those are the two series of symbols that are made over – in uh, Turkey. And most metal drummers have, they love getting their, you know, expensive handmade MB20 symbol and bashing the hell out of it. And that, you know, and then eventually it cracks. If you hit a symbol hard enough, no matter how good the quality is, it will crack. So, uh, Udo, who is the vice president of Meinl over in Germany, he actually asked 
one of the guys at the Turkish family, can you please count the number of symbols of hammer strikes that go into one of our symbols? Because I think Sabian was kind of advertising, a, you know, yeah. it gets hit a million times and then you hit it once before or something, you know, or it, whatever. Thousands, I think, is the number. Okay. So, uh, and and this is not a Sabian versus Minel versus Zildjian thing. This is just a human being hitting a, a piece of metal. And it got over 7,000 hits for one crash symbol. So... The amount of work that is going into a handmade symbol, it's 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 unbelievable. Now this is just in Turkey. Once it leaves Turkey, none of the lading happens in Turkey. None, uh, Turkey. This is for minor only. I don't know about the other ones, but uh, none of the laser engraving happens. None of the lathing. Um, none of the polishing. So you know it has to be handmade. Um, I think, and maybe you know this, but I think there is a bell press. So I think the bell actually gets pressed in Turkey mm-hmm. as far as that gets kind of shaped. And then after that, it's all hand hammered. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, they have a master symbol there that they're trying to compare it to, which struck me as weird. Cause I realized since the transition ride, my, my symbol with Meinl, it gets lathed and polished and a few other things happen in Germany. That means that the people in Turkey that are making the symbol have probably never heard my symbol finished. No, oh, I'm sure they haven't. Right. I mean, so the, the master symbol they have must sound like ass. Like it's like Kang, Kang. And they're like, perfect. Sh- send it out. <laughs> it's just a sheet of metal. Unbelievable. So. Um, so, yeah. So it's it's a pretty amazing thing. I do understand that if you're a struggling musician and you're like three hundred and sixty dollars for a ride symbol, are you nuts? If you saw the process, you would realize how underpriced that really is for the amount of human hours that are going into these pieces of metal. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And all that said, I mean, just because it's made in Turkey doesn't make it better. I do think no. Zild- Zildjian's Karop and K and Constantinople and their A-series, it's it's the benchmark. It's the, it's the gold standard. And Sabian as well, their Artisan series, as well as their new HH, which they've revised and making it more hand-hammered. Peisty. Peisty, I think, is the one that's like they've got their own thing. If you're yeah, into that pricey sure. thing, they've got you've got it. But they still have some old style Turkish made symbols. Yeah, got, yeah the twenty series. I don't know if they're still made there, but they were originally made there. They, yeah, and they were taken. developed there. The twenty series was developed there and made there. Um, and like you said, I don't know if it is anymore. But you know, definitely at the end of the day, you should be hitting this piece of metal with a wooden stick and find out do you like it? Like what if I told you this whole time it's been made in Turkey and it's been your favorite symbol and I said, I'm sorry, it was made in Modesto, California. Does it yeah. now not sound good? Yeah. Like that's that that's really the end of all of it is if it sounds good, you know. So but I think also Besides sound, there's also that Turkish look, that dirty symbol, you know, kind of just yeah. it's been played for a million years and it must be good. So I think there's a lot that goes into it um, because really a lot of people don't think that the MB20s from Minel are made in Turkey just because they look like gorgeous crash symbols. Right. You know, and they're shiny. And it's like, oh, that's not a Turkish symbol. It's like, whoa. What, you can't polish a, a symbol? <laughs> like, so, you know, there's a look and a feel about that Turkish thing that you kind of see one and you go, oh, that's a Turkish-made symbol. No matter where it was made, even if it was made in Boston, it's like, oh, it's Turkish. And again, yeah. it's like it's you're kind of chasing that what we've – it almost becomes a cartoon. What is a vintage symbol? It almost becomes a cartoon. It has to be dented. It has to have, like, chunks out of it. It has to look – you know, it has <laughs> yeah. to be gray. It has, I mean – so I think it's still like everyone's chasing that old K. Like, what is the K right. that Tony Williams used on Nefertiti? That, that's, that's what I want. And right. where was that made? It was made in Turkey. Therefore, I want Turkish-made symbols. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure there's lots of people, you know, in 
in Europe right now wearing jeans that were made in Europe, but they just say they were made in the USA and they <laughs> right. pay twice as much for it. It's like, no, these are USA Levi's. It's like, whatever, man. They were made in, in Liverpool. <laughs> Guinness. I mean, Guinness, the Guinness that we have here, I don't think is made in Ireland. I think it's made in Jamaica. No. No, yeah, it probably is. I know that when we did the camp in uh, in Ireland, one of the one of the heirs of the Guinness family throne, she actually lives on the grounds at that castle that we rented. Oh, wow. So she was teaching us how to pour Guinness properly, and yeah, um, you know, everyone like Spot and Mark that you know were drinking both said, yeah, this doesn't taste like ours. And yeah. So there's definitely a difference for sure. So now we've dispelled Guinness, Levi's, and <laughs> Black Beauty and Turkish symbols. Boom podcast over (laughs) all right so anyways i definitely as as confusing as the turkish symbol world can be whether it be as something as you know kind of i guess mass produced as as what meinl does with the byzant series which is still completely handmade uh they just do some of the extra manufacturing stuff in germany or it be something you know a little bit more boutique hit the symbol if you like the way it sounds and you can afford it get it you know and then and then you're set and i will say this i don't know do you know if dream is is made over there no dream is actually made in china okay because i I was going to say for people that like the turkish sound but just don't have the money those symbols sound great if like if you're like a rock drummer that occasionally gets a jazz gig i would totally get a dream ride just to it's like okay it's not my main thing but every two months i have to play this gig this symbol will get you through the gig Um, i think they sound great you know yeah i've had a few yeah, they're really nice. Yeah, and I still use the Wuhan stuff occasionally as well. Not the <laughs> Chinas, but the, the crashes and stuff. <laughs> Bro, I had so many of those 12 and 14-inch Chinas. <laughs> <laughs> what were they called? They were oh. like a lion thing? or what were they Yeah, called? the lion. The lion series. Yeah, because you they had they still had the handles yeah. on them that you would rub <laughs> together in the Chinese parades. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> those things were great. They, and they didn't even sound good until they cracked. Yeah, of like, course. The more beat up, get the it better. Done. Yeah. A ch- <laughs> And like, and they made great like uh, necklaces because you'd always break a good piece out of it, and it's like, oh, I'll just drill a hole in it. And now I've got like a symbol <laughs> necklace. This is fantastic. So you get your man jewelry on and uh, <laughs> and your symbol at the same time. All right, let's talk about someone that actually plays these things, Mr. Travis Orban. I was researching him today for this podcast, and obviously, as a fellow person that kind of came into light through YouTube. I know who Travis is, but I actually have never met him and wasn't kind of um, up to date on what he's doing now. He's not very bad. Yeah, he does not suck at the drums. No, he's not bad at them, at playing the tom-tom. <laughs> that dude can play his ass off, man. And and so I don't know if he's actually ambidextrous or what, but clearly leading right and left has no no, it doesn't phase him at all. That was, um, and some of the stuff he was playing was just insane. So definitely the metal stuff was in that vein of the Garska and you know Matt Halpern type uh, periphery animals as leaders stuff. But the the clarity and and he's just reading sheet music through the whole thing and pretty much everything that he's recording he's offering you know uh, transcriptions of. So just incredible. So now you guys did a little piece on him in the January issue. Tell me about that. Yeah, I was just catching up with him. We did a, a bigger feature. Um, a few years back to kind of introduce him and we just been had our eye on him because he's he's kind of it, it was like the 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 peak of of you of us taking youtube drumming seriously okay like, okay here's a guy who who's he's embraced this technology and rather than just doing drum covers of the top 10 hits of the week he's showing like insider view of every session he does 
which no one was had thought of to do before. I, like, if I'm doing a recording for somebody, I'm going to turn my cameras on. I mean, no one was doing that, I don't think, at the time for no. everything. And then to offer, you know, like, like you said, transcriptions of really crazy drum parts that he came up with. Um, so it was really impressive, and and how he was able to kind of take the Mike Mangini, like you said, ambidextrous thing to to really a creative level beyond like I can just play it right-handed or left-handed. He's very very purposeful with his you know putting the ride on one side versus the other um and the dude uses he uses huge drumsticks too he uses like yeah. marching sticks yeah no he's i i i'm i if i see him at nam i'm i'm gonna shake his hand lightly i mean yeah. the guy's the guy's a manimal <laughs> at first i first was inter- actually met him via chris adler because he did he did the transcriptions for chris's book okay so we, we never met in person, but I think we just traded some emails originally. But yeah, he he just blew us away right away with just being like ridiculous technician and having great studio chops and knowing how to you know film drumming in a really fun way. I think like yeah. like uh, the way that Anoop is doing stuff now is is definitely related to what Travis was doing ten years ago. Totally, totally. Yeah, no, I mean he like I said he's been around for a while. Like you can go uh, the earliest video I found of him was two thousand six. Um, so that's quite a while ago. That's nine years ago. And he's, he was doing like a Jay-Z cover, but in a really cool way. But it, you know, it, it was even obvious then that he wasn't, he picked it like an obscure song. So he wasn't doing the thing. Let me play the hits to get more views yeah. from people that aren't even drummers that are just searching for this song. He was kind of, you know, bringing light to a Jay-Z song that most people hadn't heard yet. So I thought it was it was awesome. He was definitely doing it more for the drummers than for the non-drummers. Um, and then as you go through, and obviously his cameras are getting better, his angles are getting better. But what one thing that really struck me is from the beginning, just the precision without sounding stale. He's as precise as any technician you could imagine, but somehow there's feel there. Really good feel yeah. in in a, in a very stale style of music. I mean, music the the metal that's being played today, especially by his band and uh, what's the other one? Is it Structures that he does stuff for? Oh, I'm um, not sure. But either way, I mean the the stuff that he's doing, I, I wouldn't say it's stale, but it, it's so technically difficult that it can be stale if it's not played by the right person. I think Halpern and yeah. Matt Garska give it feel, and so does Travis. Yep. Exactly. And he has a new project. It's called Projects 2, I think, is the name of the next release. So it's all solo stuff. And I think he went like the extra craziness with this one. Awesome, man. You know, the other thing that's really cool is with him offering transcriptions and more importantly, with him filming the fact that he's sight reading the stuff that he's tracking for other artists, it really allowed the reading thing to kind of leave the the nerdy oh it's a jazz thing to read charts it's like well this guy's playing the most complicated metal in the world and he's reading charts so and more likely than not he's the one that wrote the chart and so you know and then like you said he transcribed what lamb of god stuff for chris adler yeah for his book yep dude yeah, the whole thing. Now, have you, you've done transcriptions before, right? Yeah, I mean, tons. I spent probably a decade doing mostly that, and I've That's done a- professionally. I've done some. Like I did uh, Thomas Lang's book, uh, Creative Control. Did you really? Yeah, I transcribed all the stuff in that. <laughs> Dude, what a nightmare! Was there was there left foot? Foot or uh, woodblock involved in it? Oh, I had to come up with my own music key. <laughs> I mean, it was it was intense. I mean, I, wow. I, I enjoy transcribing for the learning, but I, I realize I don't enjoy it as a as a 
as a job. Okay. You know, like I wouldn't personally be studying Thomas Lang's stuff. So it was more of like a job. It was a great opportunity, but it was definitely more of a job. Whereas if I'm transcribing a Roy Haynes solo, that You're relates doing. more to what I, I'm really interested in. And then it's a whole different thing. I'm, I'm more interested in absorbing the language rather than just getting it completed and having a chart. That was – it's cumbersome. I, mean, I don't know how many hours that, that book took, but it was a big chunk of time. I bet, yeah. No, that's, that's insane. I know that uh, uh, Alex Rudinger just did Matt Halpern stuff. So I'm thinking like, man, you, you transcribed periphery songs? <laughs> Holy crap. That's insane. You know, Because like you said, that's way different than – when you're transcribing because you just can't figure out the magic that happened on a specific piece of music. Right. And it's, it's really like unwrapping a present. Cause when it's all done, it's like, Oh my gosh, I can play this, you know, and watching, yeah. watching Mark, uh, Juliana air drum, the parts to Nefertiti when we were listening to, uh, you yeah. know, the, the tracks of that stuff was like, damn man, you did that back in college and you still know this whole thing <laughs> note for note. But if you transcribe it, you will know it for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know? And back then, I mean, Mark's about my age, so I'm sure it was the same thing. There was no slow down or software. There was, you couldn't get stems from the pro Tools sessions. Right. So I just had to like listen to it over and over and over again. And then just like with my CD player, hold the rewind button. I know I had to go back to six seconds in. So. Right. I totally remember that. I totally remember that. It was a little different. I wasn't transcribing Thomas Lang, but I had to get my name is Mud down from Primus. Right. You know? yeah. So it's, it's right around the same stuff. Well, that's cool. Everyone, check out Travis Orban. He's just a monster, an absolute monster. But um, And if you get watch some, he's got some interviews on Zildjian's channel and stuff. It seems like he's got a great personality, and he, he's he's very inspirational to watch what he's able to do with these things and like i said the fact that on his personal website which i believe is travisorban.com um, i went to it earlier today he actually offers the transcription so whether it's in the youtube link or on his website you whatever he's playing you can get the sheet music for it which is pretty cool so all right now let's get to some some more gear if we didn't do enough with ludwig's black beauty and the turkish made symbols now it's time for more turkish made symbols so <laughs> i got a chance to review the minor byzance vintage pure series have you played these yet I did. I reviewed the the original release of them a couple of years ago, I think. I liked them. I mean, I like them a lot. And, and what I was going to say when we were talking about the, the Turkish thing was that uh, I think what Minel has done really well is they've taken, like, Turkish-made symbols are kind of, it's it's kind of like a beast. It's hard to, to make it consistent. And I think Minel has done a great job of making this inconsistent way of making symbols pretty darn consistent no i agree and i think the other thing too is they've they've been they've done a good job too of marketing the opposite of the peisty thing you know i was a peisty artist for a long time so i have a huge love for that company and one thing that you know is cool about being uh, a fan of peisty or playing their symbols is if you crack your 18 inch signature series crash you just go get another one and you get the exact same crash i mean right exact same crash and minel has kind of done a good job of marketing kind of the opposite where it's like you will never have my transition ride. You will have your transition ride. Now, the overall characteristics that make it what it is, they will be intact. But there will be slight differences because this is a handmade symbol. And that's a that's a good thing. You're an artist. You want your own thing. And so I think they've done a good job of, like you said, they've got it as consistent as possible with something that's being handmade in a different you know, factory that they have no control over. But by the time that it makes it to the German factory, it gets the German efficiency treatment. You know, right. it's it's going to be the the same grams, the same weight, the same shape. Um, so it's really cool. So what I had to review, uh, I went with 15 inch uh, vintage pure hats. These these are from the Byzant series, so they are MB20 or B20 bronze. 
I did 15-inch hats, 18-inch vintage pure crash, 20-inch vintage pure crash, and then a 22-inch vintage pure ride. Uh, This is not the light ride. So they offer two rides, the vintage pure light ride and the vintage pure ride. And the symbols themselves, if you saw them, they are the ugliest symbols that Mino makes on purpose. This is really close to what the symbols look like when they show up at the Mino factory from Turkey or from or from any just handmade symbols. This is just raw metal. And so when you see them, you instantly think, if you're a Mino fan, you instantly think extra dry. These are going to be even more like the extra dries than the extra dries. And that's not the case. I would say these are much closer to the Dark series, the Mino Byzance Dark series, than they are. And the reason why is they're not lathed. There's no lathing on the bottom. And for any of you guys that don't know a lot about the process, that lathing, those grooves in the symbol, that's what's giving you the wash sound. Well, these symbols don't have any lathing, so there's not a lot of wash. They're very dark-sounding symbols. They're not explosive, uh, kind of muted symbols. I will say the hi-hats, though, really cut through. Mm. Did you did you have the 14s or the 15s? I would assume, oh, I was, uh, Actually, I think it was just the rides. Oh, okay. And I had the lights and the regulars, and I was I was surprised at how powerful the regular ones actually were. They cut. They yeah. cut. And I mean, it's a really small bell. It's super pronounced. Yeah. Yeah, because you look at it and it's like, oh, it's like that little little teacup bell from you know my little my big apple symbol, and then <laughs> and then you hit it, and it's like, Kang! it's like an ice bell, and it's like, whoa. Uh, so yeah, I would say you know they would work great, obviously for certain jazz gigs um but more for those situations where you just kind of want to be a little understated especially the crashes the crashes are very understated non-explosive they they do their job they crash in a mellow way and they immediately decay very fast the ride has great stick definition um and you can you can't really crash on it but you can get into the side of it without it sounding like a super thick symbol Mm. um so it's kind of hard to say because you're not really crashing on it, but it is getting a new tonality out of the side if you play it like a crash. And then the hi-hats, they're, they're, when you look at them, you think they're going to be paper thin and they're going to be super, super quiet. And they're the exact opposite. They really cut. So if you wanted some dark sounding cymbals that weren't too quiet and too papery, I think these cymbals would, would work really well. So you've, you've only checked out the rides. You haven't had a chance to play the crashes and the hi-hats? I don't think so. I, I think it was just the four rides. And I, I remember... My overall reaction was that these are these are like jazz sounding symbols without the uh, without being restricted to just playing jazz on them. So right. Like if you're in, if you're in a, a, a fusion band or, or a rock band that's not killing it, but you want to get some of that jazzy, gritty, old K kind of vibe, these kind of had it without having to worry about it just like totally washing out every time you hit it. Right. And if you want the most original, well, maybe not original, but the the nastiest symbol you can get. This is, uh, I'm sorry, Sabian, but this is Big and Ugly before Big and Ugly. <laughs> these things, these are some nasty looking symbols. And we, you and I talked about it a long time ago. I think you brought something up on the podcast about a tactile thing that drove you nuts. And I can't remember what it, the bottom what of, it was. Yeah, the bottom of the sand ride. It's like a vinyl record. Okay, so these symbols have this. I told you that the only thing that drives me nuts is the bottom of a swimming pool. Yeah, the ceramic grit. Yeah, these symbols feel like that. So I ha- I have to touch them. Nobody can see my hands right now on the podcast, but I have to touch them from the edges and like like hot pizza, hot pizza. And I have to. I can't touch this. <laughs> they're too gritty, really, dude. They're too. They 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 feel just like porcelain, like. <laughs> Yeah, because there's no polish on them, you know. I remember joking with my mouth thinking, like, these must cost you, like, the least amount of money because 
they, they you didn't do anything to them. They just yeah. came from Turkey and then you laser engraved them. And but they have a very very cool sound. So I I think yeah I can't touch them. I, you know I do remember that felt like everyone like oh, my hands are going to be dirty if I. Touch. <laughs> Yeah, I mean this is and that's kind of it, it it's a fad right now. There's there's always fads and symbols. I remember, you know, when the A Customs came out from Zildjian, the fad was you need the shiniest yeah. no fingerprints ever, get out pledge and clean sure. your symbols every day. Um, and this is the this is the current fad, as dirty and as ugly as possible. And so so let's uh, take a listen to these symbols. I won't be playing jazz for you because I don't play jazz, but I will play them delicately and then I'll, I'll open them up a bit. In this audio example, I'll play the 15-inch hi-hats, the 18-inch crash, the 20-inch crash, and then the 22-inch ride all individually. And then I'll play them all together with the kit. Right, so now it's time to get into our picks of the week. This is uh, mine and Mike's chance to bring you up to speed on something that is important to us personally. And sometimes there are things that help you out on your drum set, and sometimes it's something just to inspire you. So my pick of the week this time is Donnie McCaslin's album, Casting for Gravity. And I had a, a cool kind of experience with this. I was doing the, the gym thing with Pandora on, and I, I think Snarky Puppy was the artist that I had, or, or maybe... Um, somebody else but it, it was something kind of jazz fusionish that i was listening to on pandora and then this song came on and the song just immediately struck me and it's called losing track of daytime and the the first thought that i had as soon as the groove was going on for a while was this is the drummer i want to be when i grow up this this is everything it's, it's got pocket it still has improvisational tones to it i like the music i like the tempo i like the vibe and i just loved it so I told myself, as soon as you get out of the gym, get your butt on the computer, and since we don't have CD jackets anymore, I have to research who played drums on this. And surprise, surprise, it was my good buddy, Mark Juliana. 
So I texted him immediately and I was like, dude, did you play on this whole album? He's like, yeah, I can send you the tracks. I'm like, too late. I already bought it. <laughs> um, and I was like, and I told him the story. I said, I literally said to myself, this is the drummer I want to be when I grow up. I did not know it was my younger friend, Mark. <laughs> and uh, so it's all I can tell you guys about it is the drumming is incredible. The music is incredible. If you're not a fan of jazz, this would be a great place for you to start. This is not the yeah. typical ding, jing a ding, jing a ding, jing a ding, bebop swing thing. This is where jazz is headed right now. You know, we will always have our you know ties to the origins of jazz, and I hope we always do. But this is, uh, if you like, I said, if you're really not into jazz, but you still want to check out something a little more experimental, a little more improvisational, a little more creative than your basic rock and pop tunes, this would be a great place to start. So Donnie McCaslin, he's a saxophone player. He's the artist, and the album is called Casting for Gravity. There's also some really great video footage of them playing live. Yes. It's really great. And I think this was right around the same time that the duo with Brad Meldow came out as well. So that's Mm -hmm. along the same vein, maybe a little bit more ambient and atmospheric, the Miliana record. Also great. And did you hear the news that the Meliana is now adding John Schofield for a tour? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> yeah. I swear. Dude, there are things that Mark casually mentions that would blow anybody away. Uh, I Quick antidote. He, I don't know. Did I tell you about the whole thing with David Bowie between me and him? What? No. I mean. Okay. Not, you would know so. if I had mentioned David Bowie probably. So at some, this is probably like a year ago. Mark and I were developing a snare for Gretsch before the whole DW thing happened. And we we're and we're still, you know, considering working on it once everything gets kind of settled down there. But we were just trying to develop. It wasn't going to be a signature thing. We were just trying to develop the like a standard snare drum that everybody could kind of kind of like the Ludwig Black Beauty like what's the standard Gretsch snare drum so we're developing this drum and and he's got a prototype and I've got a prototype and he sends me a YouTube link that's audio only and he's like hey I played our baby on this new track you got to check it out and our baby was the snare drum and um and I look at the track on YouTube and it's a David Bowie thing and I immediately just x'd out of the browser I'm like Dude, you're Mark Juliana. You want me to listen to you play a freaking cover? Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> screw that. So a year later, <laughs> we're in Ireland. You're and such he's a like, jerk. <laughs> I know, but I'm like, dude, you're like one of my favorite drummers in the world. I don't want you to play a cover. So a year later, he's like, yo, I never got your feedback on that uh, Bowie track. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I, I just don't want to hear you play covers. And he's like, covers? That's the first new track David Bowie's recorded in the last like 15 years. I'm the only drummer on this thing and I'm like what you played with David Bowie he's like yeah why did you think I sent it to you and I'm like I thought I don't know I thought you covered some obscure Bowie oh, tune he's like Lord. why would I cover a tune and I'm like ah so anyway so uh, it was it was pretty so Mark is that kind of guy that's like oh yeah uh, we added oh god what's his name Schofield that's who's gonna be on it and you're like what <laughs> John Schofield's gonna be out with you guys that's incredible so that's really cool to hear do you know when they're going out I think it's springtime. If you look on uh, Schofield's Facebook, or I believe even Mark's, there's there's pictures of Schofield holding an electric guitar and a bass at the same time. So it's like, I'm playing bass and guitar in this new project with Mark and Oh, Brad. that <laughs> is awesome. That is so cool, man. Well, good for him. That's really cool. All right, what is your pick, sir? Uh, you know, before I get to mine, I want to ask you a question. Uh, yeah. It has nothing to do with anything we've talked about today. Sweet. But it just popped in my head. So... For guys who are looking to start making videos, yeah. what would be the first piece of advice that you would give them to kind of up their game? Say they have a camera and they have an interface, they're getting decent audio, they're getting decent video. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the first thing they need to ask themselves is what do they wish there was more of on YouTube when they're searching? When you're when you're looking at YouTube, you're already a, a consumer. So what are you what are you constantly searching for that you can't find? Fill that niche. Otherwise, what are you going to do? You're going to do the same covers that everyone else has done. Right. Are you going to teach a parroted a lesson? So. You know, the one thing that can be original in the educational scene is anything that you believe you've created for yourself. So it's like, this is my songo variation. Okay, well, I can't find your songo variation anywhere else on YouTube. With all the millions of videos, this is the only version of you doing that. So I would say that's important. The other thing um, would probably, the one thing that can ruin everything, which you found out really early on, is lighting. If you don't have good lighting, it doesn't matter what lens you have. It doesn't matter what camera. It doesn't matter how good the audio is. Get decent lighting. And that doesn't even mean studio lighting. Just get it well lit. Because a camera, once there's a, enough light, the camera can dull it down and make it look great. But when there's not enough light, the camera really struggles and it, it makes it very grainy and it's just not easy to see. So I would say, you know, go onto YouTube itself and learn about some three point lighting techniques. Learn about shadows. Where do you want to cast your shadow? You can you can have your lighting set up that will make you personally look very old and you can have your lighting set up where it will make you look very vibrant. And so those things are very important to the tone of the video. And then the other thing is just I would say really decide what are you doing? Are you teaching? Are you performing? Because you need to start to create an identity. Mm. Why are people going to subscribe to your channel? Are you the teacher guy? Like, you know, if you notice, I have almost nothing of me performing or throwing down on YouTube. All that stuff shows up on Facebook. But people that subscribe to me for YouTube, they don't want to get a, a thing in their inbox saying that there's a new Mike Johnston video and then they find out it's me jamming in Ireland. That's yeah. the whole reason they're running to YouTube is like a new Mike Johnston lesson. So that's an identity. So I would say start to create an identity for yourself. Um, and maybe that identity is you're a jack of all trades. That's fine. But make sure it goes studio video, teaching video, performance video. Yeah. Tech, tech video and then all within four or five videos it's like man this guy does it all and that's a yeah. fine identity too so I, I think that stuff's important but I, I can tell you this do not be paralyzed by the gear don't stop filming yourself because you don't think that your camera is good enough or your lens is good enough or your audio is good enough um, you know and then also just like you would as a drummer when you pick idols pick youtube idols who's the guy that has the sound that you love strive for that who has the look you love don't feel bad about ripping off shots you know watch the newest benny dvd or the newest jojo dvd and find shots where you're like wow i can see what he's saying and i can really see the kit that's a great shot angle now put your camera there Mm -hmm. Um, so be influenced by the entire process the way you would by their drumming so in regards to lighting what would you start out with would you get shop lights would you use I mean, how do you get that under control from the beginning? Yeah, it depends on if they're decorative. So if they're in the camera shot, um, you know, that's a really if you look at my thing, I have two um, kind of can lights from uh, on stands that I got literally from Target. But I put um, LED bulbs in them so they shoot out very directionally and they create a lot of shadows on the foam behind me. So that's not adding anything to that's just aesthetic lighting you know i'm not lighting the room with that and then you can go if you check out there's a company called cowboy studio that you would just go on uh uh, god probably bnh.com or ebay or you know anywhere you can buy stuff Uh, amazon.com probably the best and cowboy studio makes studio lighting you know and what you're looking for is you're looking for constant lighting you don't want flash lighting like you would for photography and you could get a good set of you know 
camera lights. Like you, you would just need probably two of them, or I use one um, for under you know maybe a hundred, hundred fifty bucks, and mm-hmm. it's so worth it. And so I have one of those, and that's actually going straight on my face. And that's getting rid of any shadows that could be coming from above me or whatever. Um, and then I have general lighting in the room. And that, that's about it, honestly. Oh, okay. But I think just the way that you would do with sound, you just need to A-B it. What does it do if – like if I'm talking to the camera and not teaching, then I'll actually put the light on the side of my face, which will cast a shadow off of my nose and off of my chin. And it lights one side of my face and the other side of my face is dark. And that gives you – as soon as you see that look, you know, oh, this is serious. He's not right. kidding. This isn't going to be funny. So you have to understand the tone that you're creating through the lighting. Oh, wow. Cool, man. Great advice. So I'm going to give you my pick of the week, which has nothing to do with any of that whatsoever. <laughs> Sweet chicken gumbo. <laughs> <laughs> At PASIC, my, uh, my friend Dave Black from Alfred Music uh, gave me a packet of international drum rudiments playing cards. Shut up. Yeah, that is awesome. And it, they're they're seven dollars, and on each card is a different rudiment. You've got the flam five, you've got cheeses. So it was a, a definition of it, the sticking, and it shows a notation on every. And these card. are hybrid rudiments. These aren't like the standard. It's got everything: flam drag, inverted flam okay. tap, Swiss Army triplet, flam pair diddle diddle, single flammed mill. I mean, it's all there. Flam tap. So next time you're getting together with your friends and you're playing some drinking games or or hearts or whatever it is that you play, you can learn some, you can shed some flam fives. <laughs> yeah, man. That's awesome. That I think that's a great thing. It's super cool. I mean, I think it's a great way to kind of keep that stuff. I mean, you can carry it in your bag. It's pretty Okay, neat. so I'm thinking, I'm just going to use green tea for the example since I don't drink, but <laughs> I know that we have some more mature uh, audience members out there. So if you just turned over a card and whatever it says, you have to play it on the pad. And if you can't play it, you got to take a drink. That'd be an awesome game because if you do it with alcohol, you're going to get hammered. If you do it with green tea, like me and my buddies would, you have to pee a lot. And that's going to be a fun game. I dig it. <laughs> Where can you get those? They're put out through Alfred? Alfred, yeah. just You can go to the, probably Amazon or wherever, anywhere where you could buy an Alfred drum book. Dude, you know what's terrible is I gave this huge soliloquy on Donnie McCaslin's album, and probably six people are going to download that. But your silly ass cards, like nine hundred people are going to go buy those cards. I hope so. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> you win. You win pick <laughs> of the week. Damn it! Squashed again by Mike and his silly cards. <laughs> well, you know you want some though. That's the worst part. Is I'm like, <laughs> okay, if somebody had the Donnie McCaslin album in front of me or those cool playing cards, hey man, I. It's not a pick of the week, but somebody gave me the coolest thing ever, relatively speaking, in uh, when I was in Europe. And it's a pillowcase that has the symbol, kick, snare, or symbol, snare, and two toms printed on it. And you just play on your pillow in the proper positions. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. And at first I was like, this is so pretty cool you know and i was like this is actually awesome so uh maybe that'll be my pick of the week next time i'll, I'll get all the info where you can order it and stuff but um it's actually kind of a cool thing man so i used to practice i don't know in like seventh grade we had to do uh i don't even remember what the class was called but you had to, home economics did you have okay that home ec, yeah of course and we did a sewing course and we each got to make a pillow i did a walrus a blue walrus <laughs> that became my practice pad for like 10 years really because i remember I, I mean i was a huge dennis chambers fan and he said he said practice, practice on pillows yep so I, I was beating the crap out of that walrus every day dude that's awesome just to think of mike dawson walking down the streets of new jersey with a purple walrus <laughs> under his arm 
<laughs> no, this would have been in uh, in Maryland. And it ah, never, it never left my house, I'll tell you good that. Good man, good man, good man. <laughs> All right, everybody, we'll have an incredible holiday season. Be safe out there, please. If you get a chance, as always, rate our podcast. We appreciate it. Just give us some five stars, and we will see you guys. It, will be, it won't be in the new year, right? Yeah, well, the next show should be New Year's Day. Oh, sweet. Okay, yeah, cool, man. So. Well, I'll be back in town for the next one, so we, uh, we won't miss an episode. We're not taking any time off. All right, that's what you say now. <laughs> I know. Just just be ready for my text. Bro, I'm so sorry. I'm stuck in L.A. I have no access to a microphone. <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a great, great week. We will talk to you soon. <laughs>